in the house. Well, it's good to have my family here. Good to have my son, Jason. He's going to come uh, preach the word to you. I just want you to get behind the preacher, and uh, we're going to have some church. Amen. Amen. Brother Jason, come on up here. Section 4, youth leader. I'm very proud of what him and his family do for the youth and, and down at the Highland Church, assisting Pastor Carlson, my brother. And uh, I'm just happy to have them with me. And, and uh, my grandbabies, glad to have them. Miss Ivy's going to be spending the night with me tonight, aren't you, Miss Ivy? Right? Amen. Yes, Papa. That's what she's thinking. God bless you. Can we clap our hands to the Lord one more time? Oh, he is surely in this place. Amen. Amen. I got to thinking as we were singing that last song, that last, that last song here about John the Revelator and how the he records in his writings here in the final book of your Bible about all the things that he saw when the Lord took him to show him these special things that, that one day we will all see. Oh, thank God, that excites me. That one day I'm not just going to sing about it, but that one day I'm going to join down and bowing down and giving praise and glory to the only King forever and ever. I don't know about you, but that excites me, knowing that I'm going to join the saints and the elders from past bygone ages that the Apostle Paul and I are going to have one thing in common, that we're going to be worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. I'm going to join beside the Apostle John and the Apostle Peter and Thomas and all the great martyrs and all the great apostolic fathers and all the great patriarchs of the Old Testament. We're going to join together someday very soon, I believe, and we're going to worship him forever and ever. And that excites me in this place this morning. Amen. Doesn't it you? Oh, hallelujah. We praise you, Jesus. Clap your hands to him one more time. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. We praise you, Jesus. We glorify you, O Lord. Amen. I give honor to Pastor Heil. Amen. My father-in-law and my mother-in-law. So good to be with them. Thank them for opening their home to us to stay with them last night. We were up here for a, uh, a uh, Christmas gathering uh, with some friends of ours. And driving 40 minutes back to Pontiac instead of three hours to Highland was very appealing at about 8 p.m., uh, when this all came up at the very last minute this week. And so we asked if we could stay over. Our church has a Christmas party later this afternoon that we will be leaving for immediately following service. But we didn't have service this morning, so we were able to stay over. And uh, within moments of asking if we could spend the night, because I was just looking for a warm bed, I'll be honest with you, uh, the invitation to stay over and preach this morning came. And, of course, I was honored and very honored to be here with all of you. So I give Pastor... Heil, mom and dad, I give them honor, amen, and brother Wilson, sister Wilson, so honored to be with you today, give you honor, and everybody, every member of Truth Tabernacle, I give you honor for being here today, so thankful that you could be here, and just bask in the glory of God, amen, I'm so glad, like the old song says, to be a part of the family of God, amen, that no matter where we are, whether we're in Highland or in Pontiac or Ducoin, we, we can feel this, that same God, Amen, and I'm thankful for that. I'm so honored as always. That's the real reason I'm here is because of the beautiful ladies in this row over here, my wife and my, and my children. That's the real reason they asked me to stay, just so they could see them longer. I'm not really that important. Amen. It's so good to be with them and be with my brothers and sisters-in-law. Amen. So thankful for that. Amen. How many of you love the Lord? Amen. I love him. 
Amen. Amen. And I would have loved to have come this day and... Uh, you know, it's that time of year. It's Christmas time. Amen. We're all in that mood. We're decorated up here. We're decorated back home. Amen. And I I just this past uh, Sunday spoke at our church and had a Christmas-style sermon. And, you know, when pastor asked me to preach, I thought, well, I the Lord, Lord I know exactly. It's that time of year. You know, we're celebrating and uh, in prayer and just go, feeling through the Lord and talking with him throughout the day, he checked me and he said, no, I've got a different word for you to bring today. So as much as I would like to bring a Christmas word, I'm going to do what the Lord wants today. Amen. Is that a deal? Amen. Amen. I do not have scripture to start out with this morning, but we will get to heavy in the narrative here, the historical narrative of the Old Testament here shortly. Amen. And I want to preach to us for the next few moments here. When you're up against the wall, when you are up against the wall, I got a question for you that we're going to answer here by the time we're done here. What do you do when you're up against the wall? What do you do when you're up against the wall? Amen. Put your Bibles down and lift your hands toward heaven right now. Lord, we love you. Lord, I worship you, God. Lord, I thank you for being in this place right now. Lord, we take authority right now, Lord, over every seducing spirit. Lord, everything that's contrary to you, God, I pray that you would shut every mouth of the enemy. God, Lord, that you would bring peace upon every soul in this place right now, God. Lord, that every distraction would grow strangely dim right now, Lord, so that your word can go forth and that it can edify, that it can accomplish its work, God. I know it will not return void because your word says it will not, and I have seen it manifested time and time again, Lord. Lord, I pray right now that there would be a calm and a peace that would fall over this congregation, God, and that they would be encouraged by what thus saith your word today. Anoint your messenger to preach your word, God. Lord, let, give me clarity, God, and I pray that our minds are united, Lord, Lord, that we can hear from your word today, and we give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. Everybody clap your hands unto the Lord. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. We praise your name, Lord. And you may be seated this morning. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to drop some deep revelation here upon the congregation from the very beginning here. And it's that life happens to all of us. I'll let that settle for just a moment. You know, I know it's hard to understand sometimes. Amen. But life happens to every single one of us, from the front to the back, from the left to the right, every life happens to all of us. And all of us, if we pass the mic around, and some of you are scared, I see it in your eyes right now, we're not going to pass the mic around. Amen. But we could probably share an experience when we were caught in a predicament that there did not seem to be any way out of, right? There was no way of escape. We were caught between the rock and the hard place, whatever idiom, whatever cliche you want to use. We've all been there, right? Amen. We've all, we've all been there. You know, is there anyone that's ever been caught up against the wall of financial trouble? Yeah. Is there anyone that's ever been up against the wall of family issues? Yeah, I've, I've been there too. Is there, is there anyone that's ever been up against the wall of addiction wrecking your life? Is there, is there anyone that's ever been up against the wall of a bad doctor's report? Am, am, I, am I in anybody's living room right now? Yeah. Am I talking to anybody right now? Is there anyone that's ever been de dealing with the wall in their life of a, of a precious child becoming a prodigal? Right? We've all been there. It touches all of us. If we're, if we're honest and we want to give everybody a true glimpse into our lives, yes, we would say, I have been up against the wall before. Amen? I have been there. So it begs the question again, 
from the beginning. What do you do when you're up against the wall? And I'm going to take the first few moments of this sermon here to preach to you boldly and with full confidence that you need to look unto Jesus Christ today. There's no other options. Let's just put it that way. You can, you can look into a library of self-help books, and, I, and I'm all for that. You can go seek a counselor if you want to, and I'm all for that. I will advocate for that. I'm all for trying to bring resources to bear to bring a problem to a resolution. But there's sometimes when that's just not going to work. And what do you do when you're up against that wall? You have to look unto Jesus Christ. Amen. He is the only option that we have today. Amen. We must look unto Jesus. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. From where does my help come from? My help, it comes from the Lord and it comes from him alone who made heaven and the earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not even slumber. Amen. That gives me confidence this morning to know that when everything's falling down around me that if I could just lift my eyes above my circumstance for just a moment, I would see the hand of the Lord controlling everything. That nothing has caught him by surprise even if I'm caught by surprise. But he is in fact in control of it all. Somebody needs to take confidence in that today. That the, the world wants to tell you and humanism wants to tell you that, that everything happens by chance and it's just an accident that we're here today. No, I want to tell you that God loves you and you are fearfully and wonderfully made and you might be in a pickle right now, but as long as you got Jesus Christ with you, everything is going to be okay. Amen. Amen. David said in Psalm 124, he said, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side. Oh, think about it for just a moment. Think about it for just a moment. Let Israel now say again, or let the congregation of the Lord now say it again. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. Let me tell you something. You're only here today by the grace of God. You're only here today by the grace of God, and I am thankful that we are here today by the grace of God, that he, that he had a plan for my life even when I didn't want anything to do with him, that he still loved me enough to say, hey, I got plans for this young man's life. Hey, I've got plans for that, for that young lady's life. I got plans for this sir or this, or this ma'am. Even though they might not want anything to do with me right now, I'm going to be on their side. Oh, hallelujah. Verse 6 says, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth, to our, to our enemy's teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. And not only have we escaped, but their snare has been broken and we have escaped. God didn't just deliver you in the nick of time, but no, we serve an omnipotent and a conquering God that some of you might have been bound by addiction at one point. Some of you might have been bound by mental health issues for a time, but the yoke is broken broken in Jesus name can anybody testify of that that I'm not what I used to be but God has forever changed me our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth he's in control of it all so why don't you stop looking here and stop looking there but just look unto Jesus because he has the answer that you are looking for but here it is. Here's the deal. As, as, much, as exciting as that is, and, you know, I could preach about this for the rest of the day, and I'm not, I, I know you got places to be. I've got places to be, so I'm not going to do that. But I am going to share what the Lord laid on my heart this morning. Amen. But it is up to me. 
And it is up to you, each and every one of you in this congregation, it is up to you to what you are going to do when you find yourself up against the wall, right? Because we all do it. My wife might make a decision what she's going to do when she's facing a wall in her own life. But her decision isn't going to do me any good when I'm facing a wall in my life, right? What, what mom and dad might have done when they were facing the walls, whether good or bad, isn't going to do you any good when you face your wall, right? you got to make your own decision. So what are you going to do? The Bible, it gives us account after account of the, of the kings of Israel and Judah and what they did when they found themselves up against the wall. Because you read in the historical books here of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you can go on down of everything life happened to these people all the time. With each passing verse, with each passing chapter, life happened to these people. They were humans just like me and you. They were not characters, if you will. But no, these were real people with flesh and blood that dealt with problems and found themselves up against the wall. And in the book of Second Chronicles, the 22nd chapter, it gives us the historical narrative of one of the kings of Judah, and that is King Ahaz. And when he comes to power, and the Bible says that he did not do what was right in the sight of God. Well, there's your first mistake right there. Amen. He did not do what was right in the sight of God, but he followed after the idolatry of the kings of Israel. Of course, you know, if you know about the history of Israel, that the kingdom was divided there after Solomon, and there was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. So we are in the southern part of the country there. This is the kingdom of Judah. And the kings of Israel long before had fallen into idolatry and following after Baal and all these false gods, all the pagan nations around them. They followed after this one. They followed after that one and it was not getting them anywhere when they would run into issues and the Bible goes on to say that Ahaz becomes entangled in different alliances that were of no benefit to him and he loses battle after battle because of the evil that he allowed to go on in his nation He's looking here for help. He's looking there for help. He's, he's trying this new technology. He's trying this new self-help initiative. He's trying this. He's trying that. And nothing seems to be going right for him when the enemy comes and attacks him. And so what does he do? Second Chronicles 28 and 22, it says, Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. I like how the writer of 2 Chronicles puts this because he's not leaving anything to doubt, you know, because, you know, there's more than one Jason around. There's more than one Shana around, you know, but just there was more than one Ahaz around. And so the writer wants you to know, no, this is the same King Ahaz that made these mistakes. This is the same Ahaz that you hear everybody talk about and, well, we don't really want to talk about the reign of King Ahaz because it was so bad. But, but he has been defeated by the Syrian army and then he turns to the king of us, Syria. This is what the Bible says. I'm just, I'm just going through it quickly for you so we don't have to read all through it. He turns to the king of us, Syria, a different nation, for help. And guess what? That help does not come. He's looking to his left. He's looking to his right. He's looking to his north. He's looking to his south. And there is no help to be found from these invaders that are coming after him. And the Bible says that Ahaz starts to think while he finds himself up against the wall. Because guess what? I would call a nation invading my nation being up against the wall. <laughs> I got no place to go, right? So it's in this moment that he starts to think. And boy, that's dangerous sometimes, right? 
he starts to think when he's in his predicament here. He finds himself up against the wall and he decides that Jehovah God, Yahweh, the omnipotent maker of this whole universe that we find ourselves in, he decides that Yahweh is not as strong as the gods of the Syrians. He makes this, he reasons with himself, and that always gets us in trouble when we start to reason in ourselves. And he decides that the gods, the false gods of the Syrians are stronger than the one true Jehovah God. And he begins to build altars and earnestly sacrifice to these false gods. In the very next scripture, in verse 23, it says that they were the ruin of him. And so when Ahaz was at his lowest point, if you will, when his back was up against the wall, the Bible doesn't say that he turned to God and he, and he cried out to him like the children of Israel had done time and time before. You read it in the book of Judges and in First and Second Samuel and go on through that, that there was a problem. The children of God would cry out unto him and he would hear them and he would move on their behalf. The histories tell us this. But Ahaz didn't do this. Instead, he reasons to himself and he calls on a pagan king to come to his aid and that help doesn't come. The Bible says that he was increasingly unfaithful to God. You thought that it was bad before with Ahaz that he, did not, he didn't do what was right in the sight of God. Just wait until for, his fortunes turned against him and it got even worse. That's what the Bible is saying. And sometimes, if we're honest... We've been there before. Well, maybe we're dealing with the, with the consequences of our own actions. Maybe we're dealing with this situation. Maybe we're dealing with that. And when it would drive us, when common sense would tell us that it would drive us to turn unto God and to, and to follow after Him. But no, we, we find ourselves maybe like Ahaz and we, and we become increasingly unfaithful unto God. And I, I, I know it's not popular right now, but I'm going to preach it to you for just a moment. That just like it was the ruin of Ahaz, it's going to be your ruin. It will be your ruin. It will be your family's ruin. Because guess what? The Bible tells us that Ahaz, when he begins to sacrifice and worship to these pagan gods of Syria, that he sacrificed his own children unto them. Could you imagine that? He sacrificed his own children under these false gods. These children that had done nothing wrong. These children that were just simply trying to live life. And I look around, I see it, I deal with people on a daily basis that throw their children on the, on the altar and sacrifice them to addiction and sacrifice them to alcohol and sacrifice them to pornography and human trafficking and sacrifice them to this vice and to that vice. And it is, all, it is their undoing. And their children are doomed to make the same mistakes that they are when they are up against the wall because they see this pattern of behavior. But as much as negative as that was, and I'm sorry, but I had to say it, but just because your family, let's turn it around, might have a history of bad decisions and looking in all the wrong places when they were up against the wall, it doesn't mean that you have to do the same. I said it doesn't mean that you have to do the same thing. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God, because 2 Chronicles 29 begins this way, and it says, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Hezekiah, I'm not very good at math, but I do a little bit of math here, he had seen the mistakes of his father Ahaz. 
The Bible says he was 25 years old when he began to reign, so common sense tells me he was around for at least part of his daddy's reign, his dad Ahaz's reign. He saw what Ahaz did when his back was up against the wall. And Hezekiah, the Bible doesn't say this, but given the fact that he did what was right in the sight of God, I think it's safe to go out on this limb that Hezekiah decided that this was not going to be the story for him and for his family and for his children. Amen? He made that decision saying, I know Daddy did it this way, but we're not going to do it that way anymore. Amen? Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. He decided that that was not going to be his story, his family's story, and his nation's story any longer. And the Bible says that Hezekiah tore down the high places, these false altars. He tore them down that had been set up by previous kings and even his own father. Goodness gracious. He restored worship of Jehovah in the temple. He celebrated the Passover for the first time in many, many years. These commanded feasts that God gives His children in the law hadn't even been celebrated. They're wallowing around in the desires of the flesh and doing whatever they want to. The book of Judges ends with saying every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's a huge problem. And He restores this feast unto the Lord for the first time in many, many years. But guess what? All these good things that Hezekiah did, all this righteousness that he wrought in his nation, it did not exempt him from finding himself up against the wall. As much as I'd like to tell you that you do what is right and you walk in the Spirit and do not fulfill the desires of the flesh like the Bible says, but guess what? The Bible also says that it rains on the just and on the unjust. So rain's going to come. Walls are going to find their way into your life. And you're going to find yourself up against them. Hezekiah was no exception to this. His back was getting ready to be up against the wall as well. In the book of 2 Kings, the 18th chapter, it records that King Sennacherib of the Assyrian Empire sent his diplomats to Judah to announce that he was coming for the nation. And he wasn't just coming for a visit. No, he was coming to conquer he was coming to take it over, to march people away into captivity and to render Hezekiah the king of nothing. That's what he was coming to do. And his diplomats, they come. And they come to Judah and they, and they announce that he's coming, he's going to overthrow the nation. And that there, it's not just that, as bad as that is, but his diplomats also say this, there is no use trusting in God to deliver you. He has not been able to deliver Israel, why do you think that he would deliver Judah? That's what they say. And this news reaches Hezekiah. And 2 Kings 19 and 1 says, And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth. But here's, here's the best part. And he went into the house of the Lord. Oh, when Ahaz ran to the false idols and he ran to the altars of this and the altars of that and began to lay another child on the altar, if you will. No, Hezekiah said, I know exactly where I need to go when my back is up against the wall. And he went into the house of the Lord. Let me tell you something, saint. If you're facing a hard time, if you're dealing with a bad way in your life right now, don't believe the lie of the enemy that says you don't need to be in the house of God. More than ever, you need to be in this place. More than ever, you need to be under the hand of your pastor and let him preach the word of truth to you and to love on you and to encourage you and let God do a work in your life. you got to be in the house of the Lord. Praise God. 
And Isaiah, the great prophet, he receives a word from God. When Hezekiah, this is all happening simultaneously. Sometimes we lose sight of that when we're reading through the scriptures. But all of this is happening simultaneously. That Isaiah, the great prophet of the Lord, he receives a word from God simultaneously when Hezekiah goes into the, to the house of God saying that Sennacherib will not be able to defeat Judah. I know the enemy has told you one thing, Hezekiah, but God's got a different word for you today, Hezekiah. The enemy might have told you one thing, saying of God, but God's got a different word for you today. Amen? Oh, hallelujah. He's not going to be able to, to defeat Judah and that God is going to draw him away. The Bible says, I will put my hook in his nose is what God says and I will draw him away, away from Jerusalem and away from Judah. And it's ultimately going to lead to Sennacherib's own demise. He is going to die. Amen. And so the Bible tells us that that in fact happens. Sennacherib begins to hear rumors of a nation rising up against his. And just like God said, the hook goes into his nose and it draws him away from his attention to Judah and to Jerusalem. And, and he quells, he finds out this rebellion isn't exactly existing at all. And so he be, again turns his attention to Judah and to Hezekiah. And this time he doesn't send diplomats, but, but he doubles down this time and he sends a letter directly to Hezekiah. And in this letter, it's not a very cordial letter. No, it is one full of blasphemy. He blasphemes the name of God and he blasphemes that God is not able to deliver Judah once again and that there is no hope for Judah to survive. And so Hezekiah is once again up against the wall. What's he going to do? The Bible says in 2 Kings 19 and 14, it says, And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers. And he read it. And Hezekiah again went up into the house of the Lord. He knew where he needed to go when he was up against the wall. And he spread out this letter before the Lord. And he begins to pray, the Bible says. He's up against the wall. He knows he only has one place that he can go. You know, Sennacherib, he doubles down on this, and he's an evil man. You know what Sennacherib's name means? Man of sin. Hezekiah received a letter from the devil, if you will. Oh, and I know people in my church. I know there's people probably in this church. I don't know very many of you other than, other than my family, but I've been around long enough to know that all of us have maybe received a letter from the devil a time or two in our lives when he says, I'm coming for your family. I'm coming for this. I'm coming for that. And there's nothing you can do to survive. God's not going to be able to come and come through for you. There's no use in trusting in him. God doesn't care about you. But somebody needs to have the resolve of Hezekiah this morning and go into the house of the Lord and not just go, but spread it out before God. And the Bible doesn't say this, but I, I just believe this enough that Hezekiah spread himself out before the Lord and he began to cry out unto God. And the Bible records in 2 Kings 19 a beautiful, heartfelt prayer that Hezekiah prays that I'm not going to read for time this morning, but, but he touches the throne of heaven. Amen? Amen. He touched God. And the Lord again gives a word to the man of God. Aren't you thankful for your man of God? 
Oh, I'm so thankful for my pastor that when I was at my lowest points, when I was in the fight of my life, that my pastor was able to get behind a pulpit and proclaim the word of God or that he was able to come and take me in and embrace it and whisper some hope in my ear. I'm thankful for the man of God in my life. Hallelujah. But God speaks again to Isaiah and he says, you go tell Hezekiah that because he turned unto the Lord, God tells him this. You read it in your Bible. He says, Isaiah, you tell Hezekiah that everything's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But I, want, I don't just want you to tell him it's going to be okay. But I want you to tell him why it's going to be okay. And so Isaiah goes and he tells Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, everything's going to be okay. I'm paraphrasing. This is the Rutherford translation. Amen. But he says everything's going to be okay. And you want to know why everything's going to be okay, Hezekiah? Because you turned unto God. That's what the Bible says. Sennacherib is not going to enter Jerusalem, nor will he be able to overcome Judah. But he will go back to his own land. And the Bible says he does return to Assyria. And when he gets back, he is assassinated by his own sons. Threat over. Hallelujah, right? And I'm sure all of us, if this is the first time you're hearing this, I hope I've told it with enough fervor that I've got you on the edge of your seat and you're feeling relieved right now. Amen? Amen. But the Bible says that right after this, in the very next chapter, 2 Kings 20 and verse 1, it says, In those days Hezekiah was sick, and he was near death. Huh. And this great man of faith, Pastor, he'd been through the ringer, dealing with problems that his daddy made for him, dealt with problems that he, he hadn't, it was not his fault, dealing with Sennacherib and the Assyrians. And he's trusted in God. That's what set him apart. That's what made him a good king. That's what, that's, what, that's what made him. That's why scripture and history tells us that he did what was right in the sight of God and that he was a man after David. Did you catch that when we read that? We almost glossed over that, but he said everything according to that his father David had done. His father wasn't David. His father was, a, was Ahaz, but he was, of course, descended from David, great, 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 whatever grandfather. Of course, we, we know that, but all of a sudden, the family lineage didn't matter anymore, amen? And he did what was right in the sight of God. He faced these issues head on that he encountered, and, and he did not trust in his own ability like the Bible says that his father Ahaz had. That's what sets him apart, and he follows after God, and, and he trusts in God, and still it says, in those days... When God had wrought great victory and God had delivered him. But in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the man of God again that we just shouted about that we're thankful for, he went to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. And nobody's shouting now, are they? <laughs> set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. The singers and the musicians could come. I'm coming to a close here. Amen. Hezekiah, he's facing his life being cut short by sickness. I can't imagine. The Bible doesn't give us a, a glimpse into the psychology of Hezekiah, but he was human. And so I'm apt to think 
that he's sick in bed. He's already not feeling well, obviously. He's near death, I would say. And the man of God shows up, and he's thinking, every other time he's shown up, God's wrought a great victory. <laughs> and I can see he's probably laid there covered up and the best smile he can muster in his weakened body, I'm sure. What do you got for me, Isaiah? Speak it, man of God. You're going to die. All right. Okay. Not what I was hoping for, right? Amen. But Hezekiah is up against the wall. His life is going to be cut short by sickness. So what does he do? Let's read the rest of verse 2. It says, Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord. He's up against the wall. His bed's up against the wall, I guess, judging by this scripture here, if I can picture it right. But the Bible says when he was up against the wall that Hezekiah, he turned and faced the wall. And he didn't just turn and face it on his own merit. He, just, he didn't turn and face it on his own ability. But the Bible says that he turned to the wall and he began to pray. And it, and it wasn't a it wasn't a long drawn out discourse. It wasn't this prayer of of you know this seasoned saint, if you will, that can pray for hours on end. No, it was a short and sweet little prayer that basically said, "God, I need you now." That's what Hezekiah said, in essence. And God heard Hezekiah's prayer once again. And as quickly as Hezekiah had prayed. God gives him an answer through the man of God again, Isaiah. You want to know why I tell you it was not a long prayer? Because the Bible tells me that before, before Isaiah could even get out of the middle court of the palace, that God speaks to him and stops him in his tracks and says, turn around and get back to the king's bedroom. So that was pretty fast because the Bible also says that as quickly as Isaiah said, you're going to die, that's the end of it, door slams, he begins to walk out. So as quickly as Hezekiah turns to the wall and begins to pray, that's as quickly as God speaks into the Isaiah. Isaiah doesn't even make it out of the palace and God speaks to him and he says, get your body back in there. I've got some news for the man that's up against the wall right now. Stand with me all over this place. And as quickly as Isaiah had told Hezekiah that it was going to be one way and that he was going to die and that it was going to all be over. There was no more hope for him. God turned it around just like that and said, I'm going to add 15 years unto your life and in three days you're not even going to remember this sickness and you're going to be in the house of the Lord and everything's going to be okay, Hezekiah. I know it looked like you were up against the wall, but because you turned to the wall and you began to pray and cry out to me in the wall that looked like it was going to be your end, I'm going to make a doorway of deliverance through that wall. Oh, hallelujah. 
Sometimes you've got nowhere to go when you're up against the wall and your only option is to turn and to face that wall. But I'll tell you right now, child of God, if you would just turn and in faith cry out unto God what looks like something with no way out, all of a sudden there's going to be a door that no man can open and no man can shut. But God himself has put that door there and you're going to be able to walk through that door and to your deliverance. Amen? Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. And Hezekiah, I, lo I love this about him because he's human. You know, pastor, when we hear a positive word of faith from the man of God, we don't question it. But the man of God, Isaiah says, you're going to die. Hezekiah says, well, I guess it's over. But when Isaiah comes in here and pronounces this great miracle, Hezekiah says, I'm going to need a sign. I'm going to need a sign that this is going to happen. And you know what? I can't blame him. Because it was looking pretty bad, right? 2 Kings 20 and 8, it says, And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall, in fact, go up into the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, This is the sign to you from the Lord, and the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It's an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. No, but let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. Turn back time. That's what Hezekiah says. God's going to have to turn back time for me to know that this is going to happen. So Isaiah the prophet cried out unto the Lord, and he, in fact, brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. Think about it for a moment. The forces of nature and of physics that God had to change for one man. That's how much he loved Hezekiah. That's how much he wanted to let Hezekiah know that everything's going to be okay. Well, hallelujah, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Saints, sir, ma'am, that same God that moved the sun back for Hezekiah, that stopped the earth from spinning for a few moments, that moved the sun back in the sky for just a few moments is here today, and he loves you just as much as he loved Hezekiah, and he will move heaven and earth to give you your miracle. He moved heaven and earth to give Hezekiah his miracle, and I came to proclaim to you today that he will move heaven and earth to give you your miracle today. But here's the key, and I'm opening these altars right now. Here's the key if you're facing a wall right now, if you're up against the wall. You got choices. You can either try to rely on yourself or you can have the attitude of Hezekiah. What do I do when I'm up against the wall? I turn to the wall and I begin to pray. God, only you can make a way. God, only you can solve this problem. God, only you can come through for me. You've come through for me before. I know you can do it again, and I believe in faith right now as I proclaim it, that just as sure as that wall's there and it's real, that situation is real, I believe God's going to make a doorway through that, through that wall, and there's going to be a way of escape. There's going to be a way of provision. Amen. There's going to be an answer that only God can provide, but it takes you turning to the wall this morning. These altars are open. I invite you to come this morning. If you're facing a wall, turn to that wall and begin to cry out unto God and just see what he can do for you. 
I'm sure Hezekiah didn't expect to live past three more days, but God turned it around. Oh, hallelujah. You shouldn't be here right now, but God turned it around. You were up against the wall two years ago, but God made a doorway through that wall. He's able to do exceedingly. He's able to do abundantly. Just turn to the wall and cry out unto Jesus Christ as we begin to sing unto the Lord. We worship you, Jesus. We cry out unto you, O God.